Welcome to the Soul's Way podcast. This is your host, Emily Ann Brandt. I am a proud First Nations Mohawk author, speaker, and mentor here to meet you at the intersection of personal development and decolonization. I truly believe that when we see ourselves and one another, mind, body, emotion, and most of all, soul and spirit, we can break through systematic, ancestral, and generational ways of being that we came here to disrupt and rise above. We can lean into the ways that heal our spirits. I know we can do this through honest conversations, radical responsibility, and healing together in community. Through my stories and the incredible conversations with some truly amazing guests, my hope is that you leave each episode with a more open heart and that you feel emboldened in your medicine and your voice, knowing your ripple effect matters. Our ripple effect matters. Thank you for being here. Let's dive in. Hello, friends, and welcome back to the Soul's Way podcast. Super excited for you to hear this conversation that I recorded with Sharin Eskandani, who is the founder of Wholehearted Coaching. She is a coach, a writer, a speaker, and a life alchemist. And Sharin actually reached out to me on Instagram as she found me through Asha Frost, and she saw that I was posting about decolonizing the coaching industry and my experiences navigating it as an indigenous woman. And um, she reached out because she's actually creating a program for coaches all around decolonization and wanted to see about having me as a guest speaker in her program. And I was like, hey, I'm running a similar program. Why don't we just collaborate and do a swap? So we're so happy to be collaborating in so many ways. So happy to be connected with Sharin and so honored to be connected with her and to now get to introduce you to her if you are new to her. Um, although you might not be because she's got a much bigger platform than I do and she's much, uh, you know, very well established in this industry and really the real deal. Like one of the leaders doing coaching truly from such a soul and heart led place. And that's what we're going to talk about today is like putting the soul back in coaching where along the way did it kind of lose its soul? Did it lose its original essence, its original purpose and meaning? And how do we get back? So this is a very juicy topic. If you love it, you're going to love the roundtable because Shireen is going to be a guest speaker there and she's going to be a guest expert for the Decolonized Coach course that I am running that is coming this April and you can get on the wait list right now at the notes in the show notes. Without further ado, let's dive into this episode with Sharin Eskandani. Okay. Hi, Sharin. How are you today? I'm good. Thank you so much for having me, Emily. I'm thrilled to be here. Oh my gosh. So excited to have you here. So excited for this, I'm sure, juicy conversation that we're about to have that everyone gets to listen to. But before we dive right in, why don't you introduce yourself for the people listening who may not know much about you yet or what you do and just, yeah, just introduce yourself for us. So I always find, I always find introductions so hard. Cause I'm like, what, what should I introduce? I what part of me, but I'll, I'll start with the professional stuff. Um, so I'm Sharina Skandani and I'm the founder of wholehearted coaching. I've been coaching now, life coaching now for a little over six years. And I say that I, I focus on mindset, mindfulness, and manifestation. So I know the work that both of us do has a lot of overlap. And I call the work that I do because I was like, you know, I actually, it's interesting, we'll get into this, but 
I remember when I first started coaching, I had a friend of mine who's been in the coaching world for a very long time. She does marketing and she's worked with some of like the big, big names. And she was like, oh, I find it so refreshing that like you use the word coach. It's almost like you're reclaiming that word, which was really, I was like, what do you mean? <laughs> and then like, now I really understand because it is a word that has so much attached to it. I'm sure we're going to get into that. Um, mm -hmm. But I call the work that I do life alchemy. I've always loved this idea of alchemy, of taking something that seems base, something that seems like not important or not valuable and making it into this, this, this material that's like invaluable. And so mm. I see the work that I do of taking those parts of us and those parts of our life that we have deemed maybe as not being valuable and kind of creating gold out of all of that. And so I call the work that I do life alchemy, but I very much identify with being a life coach as well at the same time. Oh, I love that. I love, I saw that you use the word life alchemist because I was typing up your bio, um, of course, because you're going to be joining us in the round table. And I was like, oh, I love this life, life alchemist, but I also love what you said about, well, you didn't mean it as reclaiming, but reclaiming the word coach, which, yeah, we can definitely talk about how that word has kind of gotten a bad rap, um, which I guess leads me into my first question. Like, how did you get into coaching? What was your first experience of coaching? How did you know this was something you wanted to do? Yeah. So I'll share my origin story. Um, before I was coaching, before I even found out about coaching, I was an opera singer. So my dream since I was a very little girl was to sing. And I come from a very musical family. Um, I was really encouraged to pursue this dream. Another thing that's really important to note about my family, though, is that we, I'm a child of immigrants. So my family immigrated to Canada when I was four. We immigrated from Iran and we immigrated because of the Iran-Iraq war. We immigrated because of the Iranian revolution. So we didn't immigrate because we wanted to. We immigrated because of circumstance. And so, mm -hmm. you know, I found myself in a household where there was a lot of trauma. There was a lot of PTSD. And for me, music was this beautiful way of finding home and finding joy. And mm -hmm. I really threw myself into it. And as I said, my family was really encouraging of me to, to pursue it. But I also see how being this child of immigrants and also being like just a handful. I was like one of a handful of kids of color in my community. I grew up um, in Vancouver, BC in um, a part of Vancouver that was quite white. And, um, you know, so I think I found my value and worth in that space in being perfect and hard, being a hard worker, which I think is an experience that a lot of us folks who feel like we don't belong and in very conscious and unconscious ways kind of find our worth and value is kind of, I will overcompensate. I will be the funniest person or the prettiest person. And for me, it was like, I will be the smartest, most charming, most people pleasing version of myself that's possible. Um, and so I pursued this singing career with that mentality, right. Of being the best. And I, you know, where, where I grew up in Vancouver, I was kind of a big fish in a little pond. And so having my identity being centered around being the best and being a hard worker and being a perfectionist was, was kind of easy. And then I moved to New York for my master's and I moved here and I was like, oh my God, 
I am no longer the shit. Like everyone is amazing (laughs) here. Everyone's incredible. And so this whole identity I built around being the best and, and being a hard worker and a perfectionist, it just started crumbling around me. And I didn't have the tools then to kind of do internal reflection. Um, instead I like doubled down on what I, what I used before. And so like, I went to really relying on perfectionism and really relying on being a hard worker. And, you know, as we all know, those things can get us far. And it did. So I graduated from my master's and I was working like almost right away, which was, which I was a a small percentage of my graduating class that were like as a singer, you know, working. And, and I started working all over the world. I was working at places I'd always dreamed of. I was working at Carnegie hall and I was miserable. I was completely miserable and exhausted. So even though I was like living my dream life, it felt like for lack of a better word, like a nightmare. Right. And that's Mm -hmm. because of how I was pursuing this dream, which was through this lens of it's never good enough. You're not working hard enough. You're not getting enough jobs. It was just so self-critical. And, and I kind of had my aha moment and I got a call from my agent and he, he told me that I'd gotten a role at the Metropolitan Opera in Carmen. And this was literally like my dream come true, Emily. Like I, since I was a little girl, I'd always said to myself, like, oh my gosh, when you sing at the Met. And like, when I was a young woman, Mm. I would say like, if you ever sing at the Met, like the Met is like the Olympics of like for singing, right? You've Mm -hmm. made it. Right. And, and I'd always imagine this moment. I'd always imagine that I'd be so happy and excited and so proud of myself. And also this, like, you know, when you have this goal for yourself where you're like, when I do this, I will feel finally worthy and valuable. Mm -hmm. Right. And I remember getting the call. I remember being excited for a little bit. And then all of a sudden I realized none of that had shifted. Mm -hmm. I still didn't think I was good enough. I didn't feel that joy, that worth, that fulfillment. And I think in that moment, I really realized that like nothing outside of me could ever make me feel joyful or make me feel worthy or valuable. That was like, I I actually was responsible for that, you know? And so it was a really um, important moment. And that's when I realized I'm like, okay, you need to fix what's happening internally. And I'd been doing therapy for a while and, and I liked therapy a lot, but coaching, there is this, I don't know, it's this, there's this, alchemy to it again, like I said. Right. And, and I didn't know what it was at the time I was listening to a podcast. So I I was, I threw myself into self-growth and development, listening to all the podcasts and at the time doing it very on the low, because like, especially this was like 10 years ago. So it was Mm -hmm. really not cool. (laughs) Like it was like very still associated with Tony Robbins, still associated with like a lot of that stuff. But, um, (laughs) I heard a coach speak on a podcast and I was like, everything this person is saying is resonating with me. And I decided to work with them. And that really, changed my life in so many ways. And, you know, I say to this day that like my greatest achievement in life isn't singing at the Metropolitan Opera, but it was singing at the Metropolitan Opera and enjoying every moment of that process. Mm -hmm. So like, even when I messed up, even when things were like, not okay, like I was, I had with my coach and with the work I was also doing myself, been able to find that inner resilience and toolkit that would allow me to thrive and be in my joy and know my worth. And so that was an amazing yeah. experience working with them and having this incredible experience of the Met and being able to enjoy it. And I realized also at that time that 
while I loved to sing, like what I also loved about the process with my coach was I was able to find my love for singing again, but that love also made me realize how much I disliked part of the job, like parts of the job. Yeah. And I realized I was like, okay, long-term, this will not make you happy because like your values and the life you're trying to create aren't in alignment with this. And so I was like, wait a second. Like I've, I've always really, like, I've always wanted to work with people. And then I was like, I think I want to become a coach. So I went and got certified. And then here I am a coach. Um, but my very first experience of coaching was kind of in the shadows of like, nobody yeah. can know I'm doing this. Cause this is super weird. And I think a lot of that narrative has changed now. Um, but it was at first very much like, I can't tell you what I'm doing, but I feel great. But like, also I feel really ashamed to tell you I'm working mm -hmm. with a coach, you yeah. know? <laughs> yes. Love it. I think a lot of us who started it, started coaching and starting doing this work before it was more mainstream can definitely relate. Yes. <laughs> I remember like, being in high school and other kids would like go party in each other's basements after school and I'd go home and watch Oprah with my mom and like yes we would make vision boards and we read the secret and all of that um so that's so funny I relate I relate um but I loved in your story I just couldn't help but think like this is white supremacy culture as you were talking about you know being the immigrant child and and feeling like you have to um, prove yourself even more than everyone else, right? And uh, have you read the book White Women by Regina Jackson and Syra Rao? No, I have not. I will okay. order it literally when we get off this call. Yeah, it's so good. I mean, it's 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 written to white women, obviously, but it is such an uplifting read for women of color and Indigenous women because it just validates so much of our experience. And um, one thing that they say in this book is like. Syra, who is South Asian, South Asian woman, brown woman, she talks about how she got into that perfectionistic cycle, but it didn't matter. She even like joined a sorority and got accepted by all these sorority sisters. And she's like, I was a basically a white feminist in a brown body. But she's like, no matter how hard I worked, no matter how perfect I was at something, I'm always missing the one qualification, which is being white. And I'm never going to have that no matter what, um, you're always going to be missing that qualification of being white. And so as you were talking, I was just thinking of that. And I'm like, this is the toxic white supremacy culture creating that, yeah, that drive for perfectionism, which also impacts white folks too. Absolutely. I, I, and you say that because it really rings true because it's like, for me being this like brown kid whose culture is different, which goes down to the language I speak, the food I eat, how I dress, I I could never, ever look like the white folks around me. And so you just like, your brain is like yeah. trying to figure out ways in which you can belong. Cause that's, that is such a human need of belonging. And so you just do the best you can, whether it's like by being perfect or being a people pleaser, or just imitating as, as well as you can until you can't anymore. Right. Until you just yeah. simply can't. Yeah. And I'm I'm so curious if your first coach was able to sort of acknowledge that or help you work through that. Was your first coach a white person? Was it a person of color? I'm just so curious because I know I worked with mostly white, like that's all we had was white. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yes. So um, in two words, um, hell no. Emily. <laughs> 
Yeah. I figured. What's actually mind boggling to me, Emily, <laughs> is I later found out my coach was actually, um, she was mixed. So she, I know she was black, like okay. maybe half or a quarter, yep. but someone who even to this day, she's got quite a big platform now. She, she was growing then, um, has never acknowledged that mm. and very much tries to like play up her proximity to whiteness. Cause she is yeah. very white passing and, yep. um, and white presenting and, and so no, none of that was acknowledged. Like I, none of this stuff that you and I talk about now and you and I really believe in now. And I think the reason why we talk about it so much is that in our yeah. healing journey, like it was just not part of the conversation and you find yourself in spaces where you're like, something is wrong. And you, yeah. of course you can't name it then, right? You don't have the language. You don't have the, yeah. the tools to name it, but you just know something doesn't feel right. But then you gaslight yourself mm-hmm. because, um, because one, not all the information is terrible. Like a lot of the information is actually helpful yes. and useful. And so you're like, okay, to everyone around you is, you know, drinking the Kool-Aid and there's people who are having amazing progress and are doing amazing things. So you must think, well, there is something wrong with me, which I think is also endemic in the coaching space in which like, if you can't figure it out, it's not me, the person who's telling you what to do. It's you, right? You are the person who's not using the tools properly. And so Mm -hmm. yeah, that was a hundred percent not acknowledged or brought up at all (laughs) with that coach. And to this day, while I say that coach changed my life, I, I don't really name them because, yeah. um, I wouldn't recommend them now where I am and what, with what I know, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I totally yeah. get that. And I, I, I agree. I've had amazing experiences with many coaches. Like you said, the information is good. It's valid. It's, you know, it's powerful. And <laughs> knowing what I know now, there's just, there's just people that I would no longer, that would no longer help me with where I'm at in this journey. And yeah, I think there's a time and a place for, you know, we meet different teachers when we're ready for them and people come in and out of our lives for a reason. But um, I think more and more people like you and I are waking up to this need in this industry, which is incredible. Um, But yeah, that's the thing is you might, you, you can't assume that just because somebody's mixed race or even um, is a black, brown or indigenous person that they're not going to be internally colonized and just spewing the exact same uh, types of messages that aren't always the most constructive for us. Yeah, I think that can be a really harmful part of, of being like a BIPOC person in the wellness and growth world is sometimes you think, oh, well, I'll work with this person mm-hmm. because they look like me or they've had a similar life experience than me and than mine. And, but that, that's not always the case. Right. And, you know, you can find yourself in a space with someone who looks like you, but is still upholding, right. A very, totally right. A white supremacist way of doing things. And that can also be like, I don't want to say it's more harmful or more disappointing or more hurt, but it's just like, cause I think you go into that space with yeah. a much more open heart, with a much more open mind. And it's, it's just a little more painful, right. When it's, when it's done totally. that way. Totally. Yeah. It stings a little bit more. And yeah. I've been guilty of being one of those people. Like I was an indigenous person, just regurgitating these very like whitewashed colonized versions of messages of a lot of this wisdom that gets shared in this like new age manifestation community. A lot of it is from indigenous 
with like indigenous wisdom and it goes back to my own culture but I was receiving it and buying it through this very white lens and then regurgitating that version of it and and I fed into a lot of those harmful like bypassing narratives like no it doesn't matter where you're from or who you are or you know your ancestral trauma like we all have our own power we all can choose our beliefs we can do anything we put our minds to and like yes that is true and there has to be room for more nuanced conversations and we still have to live in the 3d world and 3d barriers are real and acknowledging them never has ever helped any not acknowledging them has never made them go away right so absolutely it's yeah for me it's been the acknowledgement that was the biggest healing piece and now that like my eyes are open to it I just can't unsee it and I can't unsee all the gaslighting everywhere and all the um yeah the colonized version of coaching so something I know you're really passionate about and something you're going to be coming in to our my program the decolonized coach course is I'm so excited um you're going to be giving a little training on like the sort of the history of coaching and where along the way it lost its soul and like how it became colonized um but do you want to just talk about that maybe a little bit let's just like give people a little teaser of you know what we're even talking about here yeah, we won't give them all the goods because they have yeah. to join us. Yeah, of but <laughs> you know, something that I've really come to understand is coaching is a modality that is like centuries, thousands of years old, right? And mm-hmm. what we consider to be a coach would have been called an elder or an oracle or just a space holder. Um a coach can be some, for me, coaching is someone who can create a space in which you feel safe and comfortable enough to explore what's going on inwardly and to really reclaim what you inherently know. Right. And so this is not something that just all of a sudden started with like Tony Robbins, right? Like this is Mm -hmm. not, this is something that we have been practicing with a different name for thousands of years. Like just, Mm -hmm. just like you were saying, like what I was talking about was my people's medicine and wisdom. But again, like with coaching, it got repackaged. Right. And and I like to say, and you pointed out, like, it's like it lost its soul. Right. And Mm -hmm. so what ended up happening was that, you know, around the late 1800s, early 1900s, um, there is this wave of these kind of the self-help world kind of comes to be what we know it to be now. And it starts with a lot of different factors, which we'll get into in, in your workshop. But one of the very first books, seminal books that started this was um, Think and Grow Rich, The mm-hmm. Science of Getting Rich, those two books yeah. written in like the 19, 1900s, 1910. Those books really set the stage and they're still bestsellers, like literally 120 years old. Can Mm -hmm. you imagine, right? 120 years old. And those books still are the foundation of so much of what we see in the self-growth and self-help field be based on, which is around toxic, positive thinking, (laughs) the appropriating of other people's cultures and making it whatever you want it to be for whatever Mm -hmm. meaning you want it to be. Uh, an incredible emphasis on money and wealth and external abundance. Yeah. Right. And, and then also that um, victim, like, right. So if you can't get it, it's because you aren't 
thinking properly yeah. and we have to cure how you think. And then once we cure how you think, like literally it was called the, the, the mind curing system. I forgot the exact name, but it's like, it's literally, wow. literally like that. Right. So, um, so much of what's kind of come then from in like literally the standardized coaching world was informed by these white dudes who then yeah. other white dudes took it. And then those white dudes made it into what it is. And that's what we see now. Like the foundation is toxic. And so yes. a lot of the times you see people trying to like, it's like you're fixing the house, but you're not actually fixing what the house is founded on. Yeah. And that's what I see a lot in the coaching oh. world. Yeah. Oh my gosh. That was so good. So good. Um, and, and it really blew my mind to think it's so true. People are still referencing those books, Thinking Grow Rich. That's one of the first books I was told to read and I read it and I'm like, wow, this is so racist and sexist and old. And it's literally that old and it's still so influential. And like now it's, it's, I think there's a lot of white women dominating the coaching industry, but it's still white people. It's just women who are basically the female version. Like they're still upholding the patriarchy. It's just women doing it instead of men. Um, and they're doing it through, like you said, the toxic positivity, the bypassing of very real issues and systems that need to be dismantled and rebuilt. Um, and what's really interesting to me is that when 2020 rolled around and anti-racism work started making its way more into um, corporate America and like into our workplaces, it still hasn't really made its way into the coaching industry because we're like over here self-regulated in our own coaching bubble and people are doing pretty well just helping other white women right? So <laughs> what often is on my mind is like, how can we I like not convince people, but like, how can we demonstrate that it is, it is worthwhile to stop and dismantle something that is, it's working well for them. As long as they don't care that they're simultaneously oppressing black, brown, and indigenous people. You know what I'm saying? Like, I absolutely, no, I, I a hundred percent know what you're saying. And I think, you know, I think the, the big issue is and why understanding isn't there is like when you create an industry that is founded on nothing external actually is important. It's just what you're thinking and what you are doing. So there is no consideration, like there's no consideration to external like oppress oppression and racism and trauma because those things are outside of you right so like but you need to fix that and so I think it's just yeah. it's founded on this mentality of well I guess I just think better than you do and I put more work into how I think yeah. and I, but I 100% get it and that's why I think folks like us are so important and so needed and the work you're doing Emily is so fantastic because we need to bring light to this and I also think that people want this. Like, I really think yeah. it's like that thing that we felt 10 years ago, which was like, mm, something feels off about this. Mm -hmm. And I think that we're like, it's like when you shine a light on it, you almost can't unsee it. Yes. And if you choose to not see it, then I'm sorry. You're like, you're, yeah. you're, you're too far gone into it. And so, you know, yeah. but I just, I think there is, I think there is, I, I see it. I mean, I don't know. I'm sure you do too, but there is a real, interest in the work we do in yes. from this way from not just 
folks of color, which it was for a while, but now from white folks in a very genuine way as well. Yeah. Yeah, you are right. Yeah. Thank you for adding that. And thank you for your kind words, the work you're doing as well too. I mean, this is why we're connected and um, why I knew this conversation would be so juicy because we're both so passionate about this, but yeah, you're right. There are, there are definitely people seeing the importance of this work and and that is something that I keep hearing when people go through my masterclass and things like this is like, wow, I can't unsee this. And they do want to know, like, how do I do, how do I make it better? How do I do better? And it's coming from a genuine place. So that is really nice to see. I think it's just like some days it gets overwhelming looking at the industry as a whole and you see like another white woman sharing about like a 5K second or like a, you know, 100K hour and it's just like, oh my gosh, can you come out of your bubble for just a second? It's ridiculous. Um, no, I agree with yeah. you. I have those days too, where I get, I get really like kind of dejected and down because it is, it's like, I, I was having this conversation with a friend a while ago, but I was like, wow, we went from six figures to seven figures. And now it's like eight figures. It's like, what in the actual heck, like, what are we, what are we doing to folks? And uh, yeah, it's it's just astonishing to me sometimes what goes on within our industry. And mm-hmm. and it also happens, as we said before, with like folks of color who are just perpetuating what they have seen and what yeah. they have learned and those toxic structures. Um, I have a friend who was in a program and it was led by a black woman and the harm that was caused there was this was equivalent to like, it was just, it was yeah white supremacist stuff that was internalized by that person and the way they structured their program and the way that they did things and the way that they sold and the way that they, and it just makes me, I don't know. I just, I think there's a better way to do it. And I also think that folks like me and you are really important to Emily to show that you can quote unquote succeed without doing that stuff. Yeah. I think that's really yeah. important to understand as well. Yes. And you can make good money. And like, I want to be clear for everyone listening, Sharon and I are not saying it's a bad thing to make money, right? It's, right. It's so good yes. to be abundant and you should be well paid for the work you do and well, well resourced because money is just a resource that can do a lot of good. But um, yeah, and I do think people are actually starting to demand um, leaders with more integrity. They want to see leaders values. They want to see what leaders are doing to be part of a positive shift. And so actually I am starting to see those other um, coaches who were kind of sitting on the top of the industry falling. We do sort of see that happening last year as a good, uh, uh, I think the start of the wake of call for them. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 (laughs) But there's still, Um, there's a long way to go still, but like it's it's changing for sure. It is. Yeah, it is. And yeah, that word coach, I'm, I'm, my life was also changed by coaching. So I am really um, hopeful that we can, we can make coaching, like bring the soul back, like you said. So I'm so excited for the training that's going to be all around that, that you're going to do in the course. um, And then the conversations we're going to have at the round table with you. Um, what else? So do we want to share anything else? Any other experiences you've had in the coaching industry that have made you just aware of the importance of this work? I, you know, for me, it's like, it's all these like little instances. I've been very fortunate yeah. that I haven't caused like grave harm, but like, you know, I did like a breath work certification a few years ago. I was run by a white woman who was taught by a white man 
And at the time I was like, this is amazing. And looking back on it, I was like, holy crap, you were certified in three days, which makes no sense because mm. breath work is like trauma work. And that is ridiculous to do that. Yeah. Two, there was like no acknowledgement of the uh, communities of color and indigenous communities that actually like have informed and, and, and influenced and created breath work. Um, we were given um, sweet grass at the end. Like we like things like, you know, <laughs> Just, well. I'm like, oh my God, this was terrible. Right. And no acknowledgement to any of that. I went mm-hmm. to, um, I went to go see Byron Katie once and listen, I actually like Byron Katie's. I like the work. I don't know if you're familiar with it. Um, but anyways, it's, it's one of those mindset formulas and, mm-hmm. um, I'm listening to a woman talk about how her father was abusive and she has to mindset her way out of that. And I was like, this Mm. not right. This is absolutely not right. And just so things like that. And just, and then just seeing the lack of diversity in the spaces, the lack of diversity on the stage and hearing people right. Invoke the wisdom of indigenous folks, the wisdom. So I'm Iranian people will quote Hafez and Rumi, which is from Iran all the time. And I'm like, Oh, like, not that like, like, it's just not that you can't say them, but no acknowledgement to where it comes from or its origins. And it's like, it's cool to use these ideas, but it's not cool to have those people in your audience or on your stages. Like that is messed up, right? Mm -hmm. What is the value here? It is our resources and our ideas and our wisdom and our land and our right, our culture. But you're telling me it's not, we're not valuable as the humans. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so that's like when I started my coaching, when I started coaching, one of my big things was like, I will not do that. I will not be part of that. And, and I think something I've just been so incredibly proud of as a coach is really, really embodying that from the beginning. And my spaces are diverse in, in all of the ways. And as it has grown, I've brought on team members who can also like hold space for that diversity. Cause I think yeah. that's another issue we're really having is now it's really cool to have diverse spaces, mm-hmm. but if you do not have the team or the resources or the knowledge to actually create a space that can like hold that diversity, then you're going to, it's just going to be harm. It's you're going to yeah. cause harm. Right. Yeah. And so those things are really important. Like I recently was at an event organized by a white woman. Everyone on stage was a person of color Um, I was one of those people on stage and harm was caused to me, but there was nothing I could like when I, when I expressed that to the white person, they couldn't fathom that they would cause harm because they're like, but this is a diverse space. Right. And it's right. Mm -hmm. So I think that's also another thing that, and, and that's why I think your work, Emily is so important because I think white women want to create inclusive, diverse spaces, but in order for that to happen, there has to be certain things in place so that folks of color actually feel safe. And it goes beyond, like we've said this, like having, uh, you know, people of color on the stage or having like your, right. It's just, it goes far or like giving money to the indigenous people that your land is like, this is lip service. It's just throwing money at the problem. What we're talking about is so much more internal than that. Yeah, exactly. It's making sure you actually have it's it's dismantling your foundation, which I get it. It's it's a big job, right? It's a lot of work. It's a lot of emotional labor. 
um, but more so for the Black, Brown, and Indigenous folks who are going to be harmed if you don't do that work. Um, and it's going to harm your business too, um, which we're already starting to see. Like we talked about those businesses that are crumbling because they don't have those anti-racist values in place. They don't, they don't, um, they aren't making efforts to decolonize. They aren't making efforts to be more accessible. They aren't making efforts to be trauma-informed or actually safe and brave spaces for people. So we are going to see that crumble. So it really is worth getting your foundation in place so that um, when you do learn how to speak to more diverse clients and call them in, they're actually safe and supported once they get there. Um, and that's something I'm big on because people always want to know, what can I do in my marketing? What can I do on my sales page? Can you help me tweak my messaging? Can you help me tweak this? What kind of scholarships should I offer? And those are the very last things I will help you with because I'm not going to help you call all of these people in if you don't actually have the education, the mindset work, the the team, the structure, all the things in place to like actually support people with different lived experiences because it is it is different. It's just different. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Everything you said. And I think that's really important too. It's, you know, you have a lot of coaches who are like, oh, well, why don't I, I need to create a scholarship to bring in folks of color or messaging needs to change. I'm like, no, it's just, and I think that people really understand an energy that is safe and an energy that is not safe. Right. So it's like, you actually need to go do some inner work and like, and that's another thing too, that I think is the issue with our industry is that people will spend money on like how to become a better business person as opposed to how to becoming actual and a a person who can hold space for all folks. And this, this work that we're talking about involves an investment of time and money and energy. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately we value our time, money, and energy in in ways that I think are not right sometimes, you know? Yeah. 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 And I've been there and I was just sharing, um, I tagged you in a post that I just did sharing about this because I remember you saying this on your um, decolonization masterclass that I was at, that there are way more coaches investing in (laughs) their business skills, like your skills as a business person, a salesperson over your skills as a coach and a space holder and a healer. And it leads to, yeah, you know how to get those big numbers, you know how to reach, you know, those milestones. But then when people are actually coming in, they're being harmed or they're not being helped um, as much as they could be. And that in the long run, of course, that's not going to help your business. Um, right. Whereas when you, yeah, when you invest in those skills, you learn how to be trauma informed, you learn how to have an anti-racist lens and anti-racist space and a safe space and decolonize the way you're doing things. That is going to, you're going to get so many word of mouth referrals. People are going to share your work for you, um, especially when you're leading with those values, which is what I've been finding. Like my business has never flowed this smoothly. People share my work literally. There's like 12 stories a day that I'm tagged Mm -hmm. in because people are just like, they can get behind it when they see, oh, this person shares my values. Um, yes. So it it is investing in your, in your business growth <clears throat> to invest in decolonization work mm-hmm. and yeah, to just better yourself as a mentor, as a space holder. Yeah, it's the best investment you can ever make. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. Double everything you said, double down on that. Yes. Yeah. And speaking of doubling down, so there's my course that's coming up that you're going to do a guest presentation for, which we're so excited about. And there's also your course coming up. Um, do you want to talk a little bit about that? Because I'm really excited about that too. Yeah. So I'm kind of making a, a pivot in the work that I do. Um, it's 
like literally this conversation has been what I've been thinking about for the last couple of years. And yes, like you, I think coaching is such an incredibly powerful modality and just becoming aware of, you know, just the, the deficiencies in, in a lot of the certifications and the trainings that I was seeing. And so I was like, I was like, someone needs to make like a decolonized coaching certification. And then one day it dawned on me and I'm like, oh, I think I'm that person. Yes. <laughs> so I, I have been creating, um, a coaching certification. It's a six month, uh, decolonized coaching certification in which, you know, we learn how to become heart centered decolonized coaches. So coaches who can create impact in the world, um, for all communities, right. For all folks and for ourselves as well. Cause I think a really great coaching certification, like the one that I did, um, you also heal and learn as you do the certification yeah, as well. Totally. Right. Mm -hmm. And so I'm running, um, a beta round this year, um, in May, and that's going to be for a very small group, but then I'm going to be launching the first official round in, uh, early 2024. So that's going to be happening awesome. and I'm really excited about it. And, um, I've just been embodying like how like creating the course has been mm -hmm. a process of decolonizing for myself as well. And it's been really a, a big learning journey for me. Yeah. Um, but yes, it's just been a really beautiful process to do this. And I'm so excited for, for launching it. Like, it's one of those things where you're like, I just want to do it now. And you're like, wait a second, hold on. I still have to figure out a few things. So yeah. Yes. So that's coming up. Uh, so excited. Yeah. I got, I got chills as you were like talking about how you feel about embodying it and actually leading it. Cause it's just, yeah, it's so exciting. And I can tell it's been a long time coming. Yes. Um, and yeah, totally agree. Even, even as people of the global majority, like we are on a forever learning and unlearning journey because we too were colonized. We were brought yes. up in this same society with the same toxic messages of, yeah, all the things, white supremacy, capitalism, colonial ways of being, hustle, 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 grind, 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 money, 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 all of that. So we are also unlearning that and we are learning more about other cultures and each other. And so it's a, it's an ongoing process. So I look forward to um, your program as well. It's going to be so good. Thank you, Yay. Emily. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. Um, is there anything else you want to share before we wrap up? Um, and then maybe just tell folks where they can find you and connect with you. I mean, there's not much I'd want to share. I feel like we talked about so many incredible things and such a nourishing conversation for me as well. And just really mm -hmm. grateful to be in community and connection with you, Emily. And it's just, I really think that there is the tide is turning in the coaching world for the better. And, um, yeah, just really excited to be part of this next chapter of whatever comes from, you know, in our industry. Um, but if folks yes. want to, um, find me, they can find me at wholehearted coaching on Instagram. I also have a podcast wholehearted coaching, the podcast, and, uh, yeah, my website is wholehearted coaching.com. Amazing. Thank you so much. And thank you for being here, Sharon. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you again so, so much for listening. If you would like to thank me in return, if you got any value, insights, new perspectives, or you just appreciated this episode or enjoyed this episode, the best way to thank a podcaster is to share. 
with others. Spread the love, spread the magic, take a screenshot of the episode, share it on your Instagram or TikTok stories, and tag me at Emily Ann Brandt so I can personally thank you for tuning in and stay connected. This is truly a community that we are building here, and I love staying in connection with you. I look forward to talking to you again soon, and I'm sending you so much love and gratitude.